Blog Talk Radio. of the Gluten-Free Voice. I'm Jules Shepard, your host today, and I'm really pleased to have with me a new friend of mine. I actually got to meet him this past week in L.A. at the National Products Expo West, and um, he's a pretty interesting guy. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Probably have to squeeze it all into this 30-minute show. But um, basically, you know, in my travels, I love meeting other people who have celiac disease, hearing about their journeys, hearing about how they came to diagnosis, and I particularly love to help them um, when they're excited about promoting the cause of celiac awareness, and so that's why I've asked Parker Kliegerman to be on the show today. Parker is, for those of you who don't know him and didn't check out the pictures and the links on the Blog Talk Radio website, he is a very handsome, very sweet, polite man, 24 years old, and has really made an incredible career for himself at the young age of 24. He races in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, which is pretty phenomenal, and he also happens to have celiac disease. So I've asked Parker to come on today and talk about his journey to diagnosis and how he wants to use his notoriety and his fame to raise awareness of celiac disease, testing, and the gluten-free diet. So without further ado, thank you, Parker, for joining me today. Sure thing. Thank you for having me on. This is uh, this is fun and exciting. And actually, I, I've had a podcast on and off for the last year or so, a racing podcast, and I always say hello and welcome, and your introduction is hello and welcome, so I feel right at home. Oh, so maybe like I copied you or something? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, no, I just feel I just felt like I, you know, I I had not heard it before since and from anyone else, and then sure enough, you did. That's and funny. I thought, you know what? That's pretty well, funny. So. it's just another thing we have in common. Parker and I um, walked around the show floor with seventy thousand of our best friends last week um, <laughs> at Natural Products Expo West, and we were cruising around looking for all these great new gluten-free products. And I got the chance to talk to him for a while about his um you know his proclivities his what he likes and doesn't like in gluten free and um you know how he was diagnosed and sort of his journey and actually did find out we have quite a lot in common so it's just one more thing parker yes it is we've uh, we do have a lot in common that was a lot of fun out there at expo last week we met a lot of companies a lot of you know tried a lot of great products um some i some actually that were given to me that i uh, I wasn't a particular fan of being the chia seeds. I don't, that was odd. But uh, other than that, <laughs> yeah. the, the great gluten-free products out there were awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I think we, we just had a lot of fun. And as you said, there was 70,000 of our closest friends because there was yeah. a lot of people there. That was amazing yeah. how large it is and, and just uh, an amazing event. It looks like a lot of people had fun. Yeah, and I always like to find the new trends, you know, and obviously gluten-free has been a trend for a while. I will not use the term fad because for people like you and me and thousands and thousands of other people, it will never be a fad. And so I'm really happy to see more, you know, companies coming on board and saying, okay, we we recognize that this gluten-free thing is here to stay. And so they're, you know, offering more products and making them better. I mean, several years ago, um, probably even before you were diagnosed, it, it was even worse. I mean, some of those products that were out there were just 
terrible. And, you know, it was oh, like, yeah. well, you're lucky to have it. It's gluten-free, but, you know, um, no, I'm not going <laughs> to eat that. That's really bad. So it was good to go from booth to booth and find some things that were good. Um, I, I want to get into that in a minute, but let's just back up a second. You know, I gave a very cursory overview to a career that you have already at such a young age. It's pretty phenomenal. Can you just tell everybody a little bit about how you came to be racing in NASCAR and I guess, you know, just your background in driving and, and your passion for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh it's a bit of a long story, but you know, I guess we have a little bit of time, so I'll, I'll get into it from sure. the beginning being that uh sure, thank you. But the uh beginning is basically that ever since my parents can remember I was interested in cars. I had the model cars, matchbox cars, constantly playing with them and when I was nine years old we got Speed Channel on cable. And I saw these kids racing. They were racing go-karts. And I was like, I need to be doing that right there. <laughs> and so four years later, uh, we were moving towns. And my parents said, if you never get another Christmas or birthday present again, we'll get you a go-kart. And what you need to understand about my parents is if I had said, I want to go to Mars, that would have made more sense to them than trying to do a race car. They uh-huh. had no idea what it meant, what it even entailed, what racing was all about. And funny enough, there was a karting association down the street from where we moved uh, that was actually in a parking lot where they, they would set up cones in a parking lot and, you know, cordon it off and you'd race. And it was pretty intense racing and some other famous uh, drivers had come from there. Uh, Scott Sharp, who's a Connecticut driver. Uh, Jerry Nadeau was a famous uh, race car driver back in the early 2000s in NASCAR. And, and uh, But, it, you know, when you looked at it, it looked like a bunch of kids or, and adults just playing in a parking lot. So it was pretty funny. But uh, nonetheless, I, I went out there and raced, and I, I did all my own mechanicy. My my dad, actually, unlike a lot of the people out there whose his dad was doing everything for him, he didn't even come for the first year because he just wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, my mom actually helped me out the most. And uh, about after two and a half years, three years, I just narrowly missed out on winning the championship. And I was about 15 years old, and I said, you know what? I need to go to cars. I'm too old right now. So crazy at 15 to say that, but it was the, it was the thought process. And so uh, I told my dad, if you help me out for one year in cars, I'll do the rest. Help me get in a race car and drive it, and I will do the rest in there to become a professional racer driver. And to his credit, he helped me out that one year, and I went out uh, and won the championship, won the most races ever, set track records for the series I was in. And the next year I went to – that was in the West Coast. The next Wait, year I went how to old were you at this point? <laughs> I was 15 and 16, that, so yeah, that was uh, that was you know my mom was helping me a ton traveling, uh, and actually, funny enough, people always ask well, what about school. I was uh, still going to public school. Uh, I was going into public high school at the time, and I went and met with my um, uh, principal, and he said, as long as I don't catch you smoking cigarettes in the parking lot, and you keep your grades up, you can miss as many days as you want because I like this. This is a cool endeavor. So. Oh wow. Kudos to him to let me miss as many days as I did. Uh, but we went out there and raced. And then in, in 2007, I raced in Indiana as well as in 2008. And then at the end of 2008, I got my big break from Penske Racing, uh, which is a very iconic race team. They won the NASCAR Sprint Cup Championship two years ago. They've won the Indy 500 uh, 15 to- a record 15 times. and uh, Or it might be 14. Sorry. Someone will catch me on that. And uh, they're sure. just one of the best teams there is. And I, I got a huge break from them to get in the NASCAR. And uh, the rest is history. I, I rose the ranks and, and eventually got the Sprint Cup. So um, it was uh, it was a quick climb for a lot of people and definitely a one of those odd climbs where a lot of times I was just in the right place at the right time. 
and uh, and a lot of times, you know, took very a very small opportunity and made it into a big opportunity. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that's the key for a lot of race drivers, and, and I was proud to be able to do that. Now, you know, I hate to use this term, but I, I can't think of a better one to describe it. You sound like you're an extremely driven person. You know, you, you like sort of have your eye on something, and you're like, that's, that's it, I'm going, cliche. I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, just a bit. I don't know. It's a little thing I do. But um, so, yeah, it's amazing to me that at that young age, you're like, that's what I want to do. And I think a lot of people – um, you know, I, for example, I'm on my, I don't even know, 15th career at this point. Um, so, you know, a lot of people just aren't really sure, you know, what direction they want to go in. But you, you're very driven, and um, and I think that's that's to be lauded. And you've obviously enjoyed a lot of success in that. But um, along the way, you know, what happened to me, and I know what happened to you, is that, you know, there were some physical um, stumbling blocks, and that's why I'm on my, you know, like I say, 15th career. Um, I sort of, you know, saw these these windows or these doors open presented to me because of my health and because of issues that had arisen because of my health. And um, I'm interested to hear, you know, for the audience, I guess, because you and I have discussed this at length, but, um, you know, if you could share sort of what happened to you along the way, because you obviously haven't let anything stop you, but your health did at one point really um, become a hindrance. And and how did that develop? How did it manifest? And and how did you finally ultimately figure out what was going on? Well, it's it's a great great point, and I think it's, uh, you know, what brought us together. But, um, you know, it, it was... Is odd. It, through middle school and high school, I struggled massively with uh, stomach issues, all sorts of other issues, um, and and I thought at one point I thought it was normal. You know, I thought, okay, this yeah. is what everyone else goes through, and I I would design my classes. In high school, you'd eventually have freeze, you know, free classes, and I'd design mm-hmm. my classes around when I knew I'd be sick, and it was usually after lunch, and mm-hmm. or sometimes in the morning. It's just it's you know it was hard to pinpoint it, but I knew at times I'd be sick, so I just I tried to design things that way and. And in racing at the time, through high school, I wouldn't eat on the weekends because yeah. I would get sick. So I would say, okay, if I'm going racing, I'm not going to eat. I'm just not going to eat anything. I don't want to get sick. I just want to focus on my racing. And it was very unhealthy, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I actually, you know, got was very skinny, a lot of times very sickly looking. Um, and it kind of all culminated to the end of 2009. I had just nearly missed out on winning the ARCA championship. I won uh, the most races ever for a rookie, actually most races in a season for someone in the series I was in, and I was transitioning to go into NASCAR. Um, and I was struggling a lot with almost um, like a head clog, a head fog. I was sicker than ever. I was really, I, you know, everything I was eating, I was sick. I was getting morning sickness. I was struggling to be able to work out ever. Hmm. Um, I just And I didn't know what was going on. And... Um, there was a guy at Penske Racing, a higher up, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but uh, it was a close friend for a while there. Um, and uh, he came up to me at one of the racetracks in 2010, beginning of the year, and he said, hey, all the symptoms you're fighting sound a lot like what I have, what I've had. And I said, well, what is that? And he said, I have celiac disease. Uh, I've had it since the 70s. He said, it's, it means being gluten-free. And I, you know, the time I was like, well, what's that? And, you know, I'd been to doctors, I'd research around and no one had brought that up. So I uh I went to the doctor and the doctor kinda of said, Hey, just uh, cut out wheat and milk for two weeks and I said, Okay, whatever, sure. He said, If that's the way to do it, fine. I and I actually went online and I saw this kid had posted on some website uh his story and he was twenty two years old and he had like all the same symptoms as me and he eventually got diagnosed with celiac. 
Um, and so I, I did it, and I'll never forget waking up five, seven days later, and it was like a whole new world. Uh, it was like hmm. a, a fog had lifted, a cloud had lifted off my head, almost a weight off my body, and I just had all this energy, and, and suddenly I went from, you know, over the span of a couple of months, I went from the kid that was sickly, and, and my manager would say I was the sickest kid alive. I was always sick. I always had colds. Uh, to being, you know, a workout freak and tons of energy and never sleeping. Um, and it was just, it was one of those amazing transitions so quickly uh, from simply cutting out gluten. And eventually, you know, it was diagnosed with celiac, et cetera. And, and uh, you know, it, it's one of those things I always attribute to the fact that if I hadn't figured that out or found it out, what was happening in racing, it, although it probably didn't, I didn't have it long enough at that period of time where it was really bad where it affected my racing, Obviously enough, I was in a kind of a partial schedule at the time. Uh, if it had continued and I had not found it out, I, I really don't think I would have made it much further in racing uh, because yeah. of that. And I think it's it's been a, it was a huge career changer for me, a game changer, and a life changer. And that's uh, that's uh, that's how I came to to end up meeting you with then and gluten intolerance <laughs> group. Yeah, well, and I think you know a lot of people are sheepish about discussing um, celiac disease or certainly the symptoms of celiac disease or even um, gluten intolerance because you know it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable and some people really aren't very comfortable talking about it. But you know, if this person, you know, this guy who you were working with hadn't you know come up and said that to you, how long would it have been before you had figured that out? Before you had you know actually approached your doctor because apparently your physicians hadn't suggested that on their own, which is normal um, for so many people, unfortunately. And so I think it's important um, for us to, you know, really, you know, laud that individual and and all of us who really do sort of take the time to listen and look out for other people who might need some information on celiac disease, because it is kind of a tricky disease to diagnose. But thank goodness that he did tell you and that you took the information back to your doctor. I'm curious, you know, he told you to go off wheat and, and milk for two weeks and you felt so much better. Were you at that point then you had the endoscopy then, or how did that progress in terms of testing? So at the time it was the deal where you had to eat more gluten. Yeah. Basically tested. They told you to go eat, and I said, that's crazy. Never, mm-hmm. I'm never eating wheat again. Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, tell me how to do this. And he said, well, you know, look at the symptoms you had, blah, blah, all this stuff. He said, we're just calling it celiac. And he said, you're celiac. And I said, mm-hmm. okay. And so now, since then, I've actually looked into, you know, the more thorough testing that have come out. The newer tests, I guess, are out there, but uh, he was – he was uh, very, very confident at the time. Yeah. So he was. He was. If I, I wish I had a before and after because I think uh, yeah. before it, it, it could have been. You could have, you could have thought I, I was, I was not going to last much longer. And then afterwards, uh, you know, a, a couple months to a year later, I, I, uh, you know, was working out with a professional trainer every day and, and just, uh, you know, totally different person. So yeah, I think it's, well, um, you know, it's one of those amazing transitions. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's good that that your doctor was receptive to your questions, but you know, that's another reason why we work so hard in our community to educate people on the disease and also on the testing methodologies because, you know, if he had instead you know, tested you then for celiac disease without saying, hey, go off of wheat and, and milk, you would have known, you know, exactly what was going on right then rather than exactly. saying, yeah. you know, yeah. when someone feels so much better like you did, why would you ever want to go back and eat gluten again just to get that, tested? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Question. No, yeah. it was my first question. I said, what are you talking about? I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I was yeah. like, there's no way. You just changed yeah. my life tonight, and uh, you want me to just go back on the thing I know is poisoning me? I was like, there's right. no – it's like right. uh, I, I'm also, when I was younger, allergic to beets. And although it has nothing to do with this, it's, you know, totally different, <laughs> et cetera. 
It was like, yeah, just you know, oh, we don't beets do not bees. contain gluten for those who are listening. Well, exactly. But to find out that you're allergic to bees, you have to get stung by a bee. So I was, it's, I, really, I said, so you want me to, just, if I want to find out I'm allergic to bees, I'll just go get stung by a bunch of bees. Is what right. you're saying. I was like, no, that's yeah. terrible. It's the worst idea possible. So yeah, it's no, a great it's, analogy. Uh, but yeah, you know, one thing shame. that you commented on and I'd love to touch on is that what's been amazing since the day that I found out to the now. And transition my, you know, just like going home for holidays, et cetera, my, my family, you know, the them having to learn about it because just to the point of, you know, me having a different toaster, me having a different, you know, cutting board, you know, et cetera, all the different stuff I have to eat compared to them, different butters, et cetera. Um, you know, all that stuff is, is a huge transition, not only for myself, but them. And, and the thing that's made it easier has been since that time that I was diagnosed to now is the products that have come out that are you know, so much, and, and gotten more mainstream and more prevalent that you can find them mm-hmm. in so many more places. You know, that's been right. a huge game changer for me, and I think for a lot of people that's been diagnosed like this, because you and I talked about a little bit out of the show, is that, to give me an example, as someone in racing who travels every weekend, we, you know, it's tough for someone like me to go eat, or even when I had a bus to get food for the bus, or my to educate my bus driver and what to put, in, put food in there, but then, out of nowhere, Walmart has a gluten-free section that had tons of gluten-free products that were all great and great gluten-free products. And, you know, that that makes it easier. That, it's just how amazing it when it becomes mainstream in that sense, how much easier and how quickly it's happened since the day I was diagnosed. Well, and on that same subject, and perhaps this is something from Expo as well, but what are some of your favorite products that you really, you know, have found help you when you're traveling that you can have to munch on or, or actually even, you know, as meals? What What kinds of things do you really like? The, really, the, the the game changer of everything was gluten-free bread. So, because the hardest thing at a racetrack is having time to eat. When you're, as a race car driver, you are pulled in a million different directions. One, because you have sponsors that are all at the racetrack requiring your time. Then you have the actual race car you have to go drive, which you have practice, multiple practices, qualifying the race. Uh, and then you have your team commitments, which is, you know, meetings, et cetera, to make the race car better. You have this different commitments for them on their sponsors as opposed to your sponsors, et cetera. So it's a constant juggle of time for a race driver. I always relate it a lot to like a politician. Our, our time our time at the racetrack for a lot of us is fractioned down to the minute. You know, okay, he's got 10 minutes here, he's got 10 minutes there, 7 minutes here, et cetera, et cetera. So eating has always been, you know, even for anyone is tough, but for someone that's good, you know, celiac, it's tough to even find food because you can't just walk over to a you know, stand or just grab someone's food off a grill, et cetera. So the bread was so great, a great thing because in my bus I could make a quick sandwich, right? And yeah. it was, mm-hmm. that was that was that was legendary. Uh, some of the you know <laughs> the Udi's bread was great for that. It was always my favorite. Uh, one of the things I loved was the cookies. I thought those were great. You know, uh, they just have, there's a lot of great cookies. Out. Glutino makes the uh, Oreo sort of like cookies that are great. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then the pasta. Pasta was a great one because I'm a terrible cook. And so the only thing I knew how to cook well was pasta. Uh, so on the bus or on the race weekends, I knew I could make pasta, which is, you know, obviously normally like rice pasta or quinoa pasta now, mm-hmm. uh, if I say that right, quinoa or mm-hmm. quinoa. Yep, quinoa. I, don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know how anyone says it. But, uh, my you did it. You did it. Different than me. Yep. All right. Well, and, the, you know, that was an interesting one, too, because that allowed me ability. And then, you know, as I said before, some of the frozen things that have come up are, are great, too. So. Um, it's just, it's been interesting to see the transition and, and for, I can't imagine being someone like the guy that, that diagnosed me or that not didn't diagnose me, but that told me about Syriac and sure. led me to mm-hmm. the journey, 
how he he said he had diagnosed in the seventies. So I just couldn't imagine from that time to now what he's seen as well. Yeah, um, it's pretty funny. I remember, and I wasn't diagnosed in the seventies. I'm not that old. Um, I was when I was first diagnosed in the late nineties. I had no idea what to eat, and there were no there's no glutino you know available at that point. There certainly was no udis and um and I didn't know what to eat, and I was traveling across the state the very next day to give lectures on the other side of the state all day. So I I bought a bag of peppermint patties, and I yeah. literally, that's all I ate all day, Patrick, pa- peppermint patties. Like I drove across the state eating peppermint patties. I ate peppermint patties in between my lectures, and I drove back, mm. and I, I didn't know what else to eat. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It was not, yeah. not a good weight loss program, not a, not a good protein, you know, <laughs> Not it was just not good, but there were no well, choices, no, I, and so to have choices now funny, is amazing. Because I, I I actually have a similar story that potato chips were gluten free, yeah. right? And yeah. for a while, that was like the only snack possible, you know, that I could find anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're like, okay, I know I can eat potato chips. You know, like I know I can eat that. That that's not gonna make me sick. And so it was like yeah. too many potato chips later. You, you know, that's all you've had. So. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of sustenance going on in that chip bag. So, uh, yeah, I get no. it. And so it is wonderful to have choices, and I, I'm very excited for the brands that are out there, um, like the Glutino pretzels. I'm just – you can't give me a bag of those. I will eat the those entire bag. So, yeah, you got to oh, get rid yeah. of those. I can't have them in the house. And we, <laughs> but, we tried the new flavors they had. Uh, yeah. They had a honey mustard flavor and, a, and like, a mm-hmm. buffalo flavor. I think you're breaking news right now because I don't think anyone else really knows about these amazing <laughs> new oh. flavors out there. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, well, you know what? We're just, we're just doing we're doing some promotion for them. There yeah, you. that's right. You scooped it. <laughs> so, well, okay. So let's let's talk. Like, you know, what what do you want to do with this? I know you know you and I had some discussions about it at Expo, and um, and I know you've partnered with the Gluten Intolerance Group of North America. Um, really, you know, GIG is what some people know it as, to really take this message to the next level. We have this wonderful opportunity um, with your notoriety and the exposure that you get um, in the community and, and with all of your travels to, you know, really spread awareness of, of celiac disease and gluten intolerance. So what what kind of plans do you have for that, for um, using your platform for, for good, not evil? <laughs> no, yeah, well, hopefully good, obviously. But, uh, the you know, it's a great point. We so. I lined with, uh, we call them GIG sometimes, or GIG, mm-hmm. or Gluten Tonics Group, uh, a couple months ago, and, and Chris Rich over there. And, and the idea has been to bring gluten-free awareness or gluten tolerance awareness to a broader public. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. racing has a massive microphone. Uh, you know, 75 million people watch NASCAR racing every year. They, they say 75 million are fans. Uh, you know, you've got over well over 70,000 people in every single Sprint Cup race. And the idea was to basically create a gluten-free vehicle, gluten-free awareness vehicle. Um, and through doing that with GIG, we would get the great products and companies out there to come on board and help us promote their products and help us promote being gluten-free and to maybe a group that doesn't know that there are great gluten-free products available. You know, one thing I saw on my Twitter while we were out at Expo West was this person who was an NASCAR fan reached out to me and she, and she had said in her tweet, I feel like I need to go gluten-free. I, I and I've been talking to people, and I think it's something I need to do, but I don't know how. And I mm-hmm. sent her a tweet saying, go to Gluten Intolerance Group. They have a, a ton of info, and you'll see all the great products they certify, et cetera, and you'll learn more about it. And right mm-hmm. then and there, there was a small snapshot of what yep. the power could be. You know, one thing that we've discussed a lot with this 
in the racing platform is one that it's more genuine because obviously I am CUEC. I have to use these products. It's it's not like getting out of your car and saying, you know, this is the best windshield wiper there is, even though we don't have windshield wipers on our car. Right. You know, that's it's it's far more authentic. Um yep. so that that's helpful. And then lastly, you know, one thing a story I, I told you and I'll I'll tell all, all your listeners is I also do um hosting for NBC Sports Network on the NASCAR side, especially in this time mm-hmm. I've had where uh, a team I was on last year shut down had a little bit more free time uh, to look for a good team again. And essentially, I was in the cafeteria, and they had just gotten Udi's bread in the bread station. And so I said, hey, excuse me, can I have a, you know, that the gluten-free bread, blah, blah, sandwich. And, they said, and someone walked up to me and said, hey, what is that? And I said, oh, it's uh, gluten-free bread. And he's like, is it good? I was like, yeah, it's great. You know, I, I have to choose to do it, but yeah, sure, try it if you want. And so he tried it, and he, he gets a sandwich. And he goes, wow, that's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, and it looked at me kind of like stunned, stunned, you know. And so mm-hmm. I thought, wow, you know, that's really powerful that what we could be doing on a huge level, instead of just one guy, you know, with 70,000 people coming every race, having someone mm-hmm. making Udi's bread sandwiches out there saying, look, these are gluten-free. Here's info on what gluten intolerance is about that maybe you need to look at. If you're not feeling great, this could be a great choice for you, et cetera. And here's a great product that you didn't even realize how good it is because it said gluten-free on it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's something that we're really trying to do with the racing, and, and we've made a bit of headway, and we'll see where, where we go. And to all the, you know, people out there in the gluten intolerance community, et cetera, uh, it can always help us to reach out to those companies that are out there and say, hey, look, we like this idea. We like about growing it and, and helping it become more and more mainstream so that these products are everywhere and you, you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to, to look for them so, so tough. So I don't think that that's not a great way to end it. Not so tough. Look for them in such it's a tough so way. Difficult. Sorry, there you go. There you go. <laughs> sure, no worries. I'm a word girl. Um, so you know, it, are there are there some? Um, I, I don't even know if this is an appropriate question to ask yet because this just sort of happened. But I mean, do you have some brands in mind that you um, that you'd like to be talking to, or are there are there other brands that you think? Um, would be a good fit for the car, or I mean, is I don't even know if you're if you're there yet with these conversations, or if this is just still your outreach, you know, stage of, of yeah. the game. Well, we don't like to rule anyone out. You know, I think it's it's dependent on what their goals are and what their mm-hmm. obviously their marketing budget, et cetera, is, and if it aligns with what the you know the message they're trying to put out there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think you know one brand we've mentioned a tremendous amount on here is obviously Udi. They're large. They're, they're very well known. You've got the Guccino brand of theirs in the Boulder brand family. Um, and we met a ton out there, you know, in the Expo West. It seemed interested. It seemed like this could be something. And the thing is, mm-hmm. it's not – we don't want to limit it to one brand because we can do more with multiple brands. That's, you know, right. the, the, we, the bigger we make the microphone, the more brands we have involved, the better the the awareness side and putting out the gluten intolerance awareness to people and letting them know more and educating them on what that means is bigger for us than just aligning with one brand. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And and I did, um, you mentioned him earlier, Chris Rich, the director of brand management at GIG, and um, he said um, that I could share on the radio show as well. If there are brands that are interested in talking to you about, um, you know, being a part of this promotion, being a part of this exciting um, idea that you all are putting together with the gluten-free car, that they can contact him directly at chris.rich at gluten.org. Um, so, you know, I, I think you will start hearing from some brands, especially after Expo, because 
you know, obviously you're very well spoken. And, and as you said earlier, you know, it's the authenticity of it. It's not like you're just out there, you know, hawking, I don't know, um, laundry detergent or whatever, not to, not to bag <laughs> on laundry detergent, but, you know, it's something that's very personal to you. And it is a message that has a purpose, and it is a message that um, I think is, is very um, admirable because, you know, there are, as you said, 75 million people watch NASCAR in one way or another. And if they, if even one of them, and obviously it would be way more than that, says, hey, what's that gluten-free thing? And starts a conversation and starts asking questions and someone in your shoes or mine, you know, who was it who tipped us off? And, um, you know, finally we were able to figure out what was wrong with us and that it wasn't normal to feel the way that you were feeling, the way that I felt. Um you know, to be so sick because, you know, if you don't have those conversations with people and the, and the subject doesn't come up and you're not aware of it, then you're never going to know what might be causing your health problems. So any awareness, Absolutely. any broader platform, I think is just, it's laudable, it's exciting. Um, you know, I think I, I'm going to be really excited to see where this goes because I think there's going to be so much opportunity for you to have that microphone and to, you know, share real, you know, solid information with people about what they need to do to figure out if they have, um, you know, gluten intolerance or celiac disease and, and where to go for good information. So I'm I'm psyched Absolutely. about it. I'm really um, I, I think it's going to be fantastic, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Absolutely. I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I think it's, uh, you know, we all know how tough it is to, to, first of all, find out that you are and, and to even be, you know, aware that gluten-free or gluten tolerance is a thing, especially years mm-hmm. ago. And uh, we've all been through that, and so doing something like this to help others and to promote it and to put that awareness out there, I think, is uh, is a tremendous thing that, you just think about just think about myself. You know, if I'd seen a gluten-free race car five, six years, seven years ago, maybe I would have found out sooner. So yeah, you know, just, uh, absolutely. That's the way it is. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, Parker, if folks want to follow up with you, learn more about you, follow you, um, what's your Twitter handle? How can fi- how can people find out more about you and what your plans are? Absolutely. So my I say my fan club is Twitter, and that is at at p Kligerman. And then my uh, my Instagram is the same at Pete Kligerman. My Facebook is Parker Kligerman. Uh, my website's ParkerKligerman.net. And uh, if you uh, if you reach out to me on any of those channels, I'll be sure to respond. Especially Twitter. Twitter is my go-to. So that's uh, no one touches my Twitter but me, and uh, and my Instagram. So if you if you're on there, you know it's me. If anything's on there, it's always me. So awesome. uh, be sure to reach out to me and and let me know your story and and uh, you know if there's anything we can do to to continue to, you know, put the gluten-free story out there at gluten-free awareness and uh, I'm all for it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to um, revisit this with me and to share it with um, the listening audience. And I'm sure that um, people will be very excited to see the changes that will be coming on that gluten-free car. So I'm really I'm psyched to watch it. So thanks again, Parker, and um, take care. Good luck this season, and I'm sure we'll hear lots more from you. Thank you, Julie, and thank you to everyone out there for listening, and uh, look forward to it. It's going to be a fun year. All right. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye.